The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. Uh, <laughs> today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. It's on page 811 in the Bibles under the chairs, and it's also on the screen behind me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is, this, is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And money. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Let me, uh, let me open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that it will be clear this morning that um, I, I am not here singling out someone, that I am not laying um, condemnation on anyone, uh, that I am not here to... Um, condemn those who have wealth or those who've made poor decisions. Lord, I pray that simply that we could take away a greater awareness of that we have a limit in time and in resources, and that, that today going forward, we would have a greater sense of urgency to use that time and resources that you've given to us wisely and well, and that, um, that it would be to your glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is a, I, I would maybe be classified as a glutton for punishment this morning um, because I actually um, chose to teach this lesson. And, and part of it, I've got to give some disclaimer there. Um, I'm incredibly jaded when it comes to the way that I've witnessed the church deal with money uh, from being a young child and, and to what I've witnessed within the church. On, on how people have chosen to live, myself included now. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say some things this morning that are going to be pretty hard. And it's just as applicable to me as, as you guys. But, you know, I've looked around and thought, I'm missing something really big here. And with the American culture, there's been a separation from the sense of our wealth and, and how we're to use it. Um, when we live in a culture that does nothing but promote more, bigger, and better, it's hard not to drink the Kool-Aid. And so I remember sitting back in 2006, 7, and 8, as, as we're going into this massive economic boom and then heading into the collapse, just looking around, scratching my head, saying, this is madness. And, and how do you take that to a people that are wholly engaged in this madness. 
You know, I almost feel this morning, and don't, this isn't complimentary to me, but I almost feel like Jeremiah or Isaiah. Isaiah says, well, God, what do you want me to do? And, and God says to Isaiah, you're going to bring him some bad news. And Isaiah goes, well, for how long do we bring the bad news? And the answer is basically, until you're out of breath. You know, and are they going to receive this bad news? Well, no, they're not. Um, they're going to be highly offended. And it's like, where do you go with that? And I think part of the difficulties is, is we look at God's word and we're either going to accept and embrace it or we won't. And so this morning is, is kind of a rally call on the economic front for us. Will we embrace it? Will we choose that even if we've done poor things yesterday, going forward, will we look at our wealth from a different vantage point? And, and how we utilize it for ourselves and for others. Um, so, some of the things that I saw growing up, I was in a church where they used to put a, a Cadillac on the front lawn of the church. And they would sell raffle tickets for the whole summer. And at the end of the summer, they had this massive party, this gaming event. And then the person would win, somebody, lucky church member, would win this new Cadillac. And I remember driving to church thinking, we drive a beat-up car. I'd love that Cadillac. Um, and we never won the Cadillac. I don't know if my parents even ever bought a ticket. But it was to fund this school church venture. It was a church. And I remember thinking, something's not... Is this how we fund the body of Christ's ventures and missions? By raffling off Cadillacs on the front lawn of your church? And, that, that, and again, I'm not saying if God says, buy a raffle ticket at the Elks Club, that you, you're a sinner if you do. Somebody asked me once... Is, is buying a lottery ticket a sin? And they were baiting me. And I responded, no, not if it's for a quarter billion dollars or more. You know, they didn't know how to respond to that one. You know, let's just jerk them around a little bit. You know, keep them off of balance. But, you know, I, I've sat in churches and, and for a whole sermon heard nothing about why we should pledge for the building fund. And I remember leaving saying, I praise God that I didn't bring a new believer or an unsaved person. Because I can only imagine what the takeaway would have been if you dragged somebody like me to that service unsaved. And so, you know, you witness churches make bad decisions and church members make bad decisions, bite off more than they can chew, wind up on the side of the road licking their wounds while we're supposed to be loving and ministering to the world. And I think some days when I look at the American churches, I see these monstrous cathedrals and it grieves me. I just think... Do you know how little money it would take to build a church in India? You could build 50 or 100 churches for the, in India for the churches we're building here and now. And if that doesn't grieve us, if we don't step back and say, we're missing something, build a warehouse and let's meet there, and then expand the church in Asia. We, we in DOCSA, support somebody in India and we get emails back in a Skype here out there, baptized 67 people this week. And I'm looking at Dale and Randy going, we're, we're limping along, having baptized three in the last four months. The fields are flipping white for harvest. And we fail to support the venture. Madeline was back over in India. What can a dollar do? Paul and Molly for 30 years asked them what a dollar can do. And then drop, and I'm guilty, and then drop five bucks on a Starbucks coffee and don't even bat an eye. There's no correlation with reality. 
And again, this is where I'm starting this morning because I don't know where else to start if I'm honest. And I don't like looking at myself. I don't like being told how to spend my money. And I certainly don't like hearing something I want should be deferred for the benefit of somebody else, right? I'm still a corrupt, fallen, sinful human being. But each day I wake up and I rejoice in this, I'm feeling this pull, this drag of a holy God saying, how are you using your wealth for me today? And I think if we don't ask those questions, we're never going to get the answer. We're going to limp along. The blessing and provision and material prosperity in America has put the church to sleep spiritually. That's my conclusion. And stone me in the parking lot if you think it's stern or judgmental. But I don't, I don't know, again, when you speak to people that come back from the foreign field, or even some people I know here that are really struggling and how a buck makes a difference in their life and then how I spend my money. And again, I'm a guy, let me say this out of the, I tithe, tithing to me is a great deal. I go do this, one for me, two for me, and I tithe 10%. Now, I'm not saying 10% is for you or not. We're flexible if you want to tithe 20%, by the way. I'm easy about that. And if you want to start with two, if you're really struggling, I think there's fruit and consistency in honoring God with your wealth. But the tithing for me initially was like this, one for me, two for me. Three for me, four for me. I'm liking this, by the way. Five for me, six for me, seven for me, eight for me, nine for me, one for God. All right, back to me. One for me, two for me. I think that's a pretty good deal. I mean, I just, for the guy that's given me the ability, the opportunity, and the gifts, and then the provision that has followed behind that with business, and then I come here and stick a check in the till, I rejoice. That's my way of saying to God, thanks. But that's out of the gate. The New Testament premise is we give according to ability. I mean, a lot of people argue, oh, the tenth is, is bad, it's the Old Testament. Why do I have to give a tenth? And what they're doing is trying to get out of giving. And that says everything about the heart. Oh, let's change the scale, give according to need, and then reappraise how we choose to live for what we really need and what we don't need. My wants are ridiculous, by the way. And I'm not even saying I sit here and say I'm gratifying my wants. I just know that my wants are always there. I always want, right? So we, we kind of struggle. I do. And, and so, you know, it's interesting, this guy, Howard Dayton, they call him a Christian financial expert. I don't know what that is. Um, but, but he made a statement in the Bible. We have references to, to money and possessions 2,350 times. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it sounds in the ballpark. Everything else I read, it's more than Jesus talked about love. It's more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. So we got to say, well, what's up with that? It sounds like a pretty important topic if you were to wait things where people give their time and energy to dedicate towards certain issues. It sounds like this thing about money is like in, disproportionate. The other difficulty in America, and again, it goes back to our culture, and that's why I think foreign missions, things like that, going somewhere other than in our country. And I'm not saying do it short-term or long-term. I'm saying go is called. Go is called to make sure you're called, first of all. Not so you can hit your little God stamp and say, oh, I've been to India or Asia. We have something called a prosperity doctrine gospel permeating many, many of the American churches. And it's that Jesus wants us to be happy. And that's madness. That's madness. If it's a choice between holiness and happiness, I can tell you every time what, what God's going to want. It's, it's holiness. 
we take verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, which I've heard way too many times, way too many times, and seen plastered in way too many places. You see, when you see something all the time in the church, you start to go, what's up with this? And it's pushing an agenda, and that agenda can be my agenda or it can be God's agenda. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the Lord plans to prosper you. Now, that to me sounds like a pass to take out a six-year car note to buy a new Cadillac and then label it the will of God, right? Well, he wants me to be happy, to prosper. Where do we go with that? Where do we go with that? And I just, in prepping this, you know, I I looked at this stuff and it's on coffee cups and they're making millions selling it to poor Christians, by the way. I know that. That's that's their agenda. I know they're evil people putting that on coffee mugs, making lots of money. They're going to offer you those kind of coffee cups and say, we have Christians here too. And you can have more, bigger, and better, right? And listen, for Randy's sake, I want to tell you, Randy, like there's nowhere in scripture that says you, you got to serve and love God or money, one or the other, but it said nothing about supporting Clemson in the interim. I just want to make that clear for Randy's sake, because I know he's back there starting to sweat about this love one and hate the other stuff going on. So, so, so with that, this, this, this toxic message comes in. Um, I, you know, I don't remember in, in the housing boom once hearing a pastor condemn the church for buying the second and third homes, for taking out all the home equity so you could lavishly furnish your home, buy a second car, and take vacations. And I also never heard anyone tapping all the equity in their home to fund a foreign mission. Never heard it. And maybe they did it anonymously, and I don't know that, but my lurking suspicion is that I just don't think that was going on. And so we wake up one day, and, and, and we're sitting here, reading God's word, saying there's no correlation with the words in the book and the way I'm living. And again, part of this for me has been a sanctifying process where how I spend money today, I'm much more conscious. Um, And I also see much more apparently how God blesses and, and renews my understanding of who he is as a personal creator. And I think the more we look at those issues with money because such great weight has been given to them, the more we're going to see a holy God in our midst who loves us anyway, who prepares for, who, who, whose provision is really unlimited. And I'm not saying you get more, bigger, and better, but you're going to see the hand of God extend to the needs and wants and sometimes the heart's desire. It's funny, I was thinking about this recently. I was in um, Costco, and I have a crappy blender. I have to take it up. The blender is this bad. You have to unscrew the bottom of the blender and pop out the metal grate and the gasket and oil it with WD-40 because it gets stuck now and you can't turn it. And you don't try and turn it with your hands because the blades are still razor sharp. All right? Because you'll slice your hand to ribbons. So I'm in Costco and I look at this blender and, and it's 140 bucks. And I got to be honest, I got a problem. I'd rather take the stupid blender apart, risk slicing my hand into ribbons. than spend. The, and then it's not that I'm cheap anymore. I have the $140. And I defer from the cost, saying, God, you know what? Why don't you take care of this? I'm having breakfast with Ronnie, who's going to Taiwan Monday. And he says, hey, I have a really nice blender. We brought it from Taiwan. It's like a $140 blender or something akin to that. I'm like, yeah, I like the blender. And, and you know, what's really amazing is I can't tell you how many stories that's happened to me. Where, where I don't have peace with how I'm spending. And I defer, and then I watch God provide. 
And, and it's, this, it's, about, it's not about, he uses the money to show me who I am before him and what kind of God he really is. And you forfeit that when you just say, if I can, ha- if I can afford it, I can buy it. You miss the beauty of that walk with the Lord. Because I know when Ronnie gives me the blender today after church, and I'll be angry if he's given it to somebody else in the meantime, because that was from God to me. It has nothing to do with you, Ronnie. You know that too. But the point I make is, is, is that he shows me through this who he is. And that I grow, I grow to trust and believe in him. And that I allow him to provide. And I've, God has done things that have met so far beyond my heart's desire. It's ridiculous. You know, I had a brother-in-law coming into town one time. I was teaching in a ministry. And I'm struggling financially at the time. And my brother-in-law says, I'd love to go play golf at the Dunes Club. And I'm like, are you an idiot? Now, this is being recorded, so I won't say which brother-in-law. I have two. All right? So I hope they don't listen and get angry. And I thought, you know, bucks a person. And I really don't have the money. And you balance before a holy God, how do, what do I do? You know what I heard? Honor your brother. Love him. So I picked up the phone, called somebody I knew who um, had a membership at the Dunes Club. And Eric Ficken, I'll tell you his name. Great guy. And when I showed up at the club a couple weeks later, he said, yeah, I'll get you on. It was all paid for. And you know, you can't experience that unless we fret over this and struggle before a holy God on how I should do it and whether or not I should do it. And then when you have peace, you step forward and you see his provision backing it. And whether you're going to the dunes or having a cup of coffee, you watch God's provision fall in. So I want to give us a little bit of a heads up. I want to ask the question, do we have any clue what a dollar can buy in certain places of the world? Or are we going to continue to keep our heads in the spiritual sand and live our own life? Because I think this is a big deal, what I'm going to tell you. Um, Therefore, people that that have an incredibly hard life, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're called to love and care for. Um, And the question becomes, are we going to take our head out of the sand and do that? You see, well, I'll tell you what the sermon's about in a minute. But I want to give you a little bit of statistics, just simple stuff. Half the world, almost half the world, and and these numbers could be off by a couple hundred million, so you can humor me, all right? Half the world, three billion people live on less than 250 a day. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Half the world lives on less than 250 a day. More than 1.3 billion people live in extreme poverty. That's less than $1.25 a day. Approximately, give or take a couple million, 850 million people in the world do not have enough food to eat right now. Their, hum, their stomach is hurting. How many of us in here, can I, in, in the last five years, have gone without food and didn't know where the next meal would come from and were hungry? And I don't want to see hands, but I'd be shocked if I got one in my midst today. Yet we have hundreds of millions of people out there. More than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean drinking water. Diarrhea causes an ad- from that bad water. Um, and the lack of sanitation accounts for under, a little under a million people dying every year globally. That's 200, excuse me, that's 2,300 people a day. And if that was your mother or your sister or your best friend or your kid, do you think we'd behave differently? Yet we're called as brothers and sisters in Christ. These are members of our family. Where do we go with that? I I don't know. Preventable diseases like diarrhea and pneumonia take 2 million lives of children a year. 
We are the top end of the richest fifth. We consume so much vastly disproportionate amount of the world's resources. It's obscene. I'm not even going to give you the stats because it's offensive. You know, and then you have a brother and sister in Christ come to you and say, how you doing? And you go, well, well, you know, it's been tough and it's been tight, but the Lord has just been providing for me. And then you breathe a holy sigh. Yeah, do you have central air? I don't care if it's a window unit or not, all right? I'm flexible. Do you have clean drinking water? Oh, no, no, I'll preface it. Do you have hot and cold clean drinking water? Let's just get carried away and be lavish. You got hot water too, right? Now, let's go home and have a cupboard stocked full of food. Half of it we're going to throw out in the next six months because we don't use it. Uh, you know, where do, you, where do we go? So, so let me tell you a couple of things really quickly. On the other hand, I've watched men obey God and, and God do amazing things. I, there are ministries in Doxa. When was the last time you saw us pass out a penny ever being borrowed because God was behind it? He will fund his ventures. Doxa, when was the last time you saw us passing a basket in this church? We started this church. We said, and I said this, if God is going to raise it up, he'll fund it. We absolutely expect something from covenant members, not just your money. We expect your time, you to use your talent, you to use God's truth and your treasure for the good of this body. And it's an expectation we have on you. And again, it's not a 10% expectation or a 20% or a 2%. It's an expectation that you will man up or woman up when you become a part of this body. Because we want a biblical way of living that is going to display to the world that there's a holy God that fuels what we're doing here. And if the world can't see it, it's pointless. Because we are called to display, to bear witness. We don't put a light under a bucket. We let our light shine. And God's doing that, so I rejoice in that. The parable we've been talking about is Matthew 24, uh, 25, 14. And, and, and just for those who aren't here, we're doing a four-week series on the, the stewardship. Time, your talent, meaning the godly gifts, your treasure, and God's truth, his word. How are we using this? And the talent in Matthew starts out with this rich master giving three guys... Five talents, two talents, and one talents. Now, the talent was a tremendous sum of money. And he says, I'm going away, and when I come back, I want to return. And he leaves. And they know he's a shrewd guy. And he also gave according to their ability, meaning they, they could do what he asked them to do. There was no unrealistic expectation. And the story goes where the master returns, and the two who, um, the five and the two talent got invested, doubled their money, and they give it back to their master, and the master rejoices. And the one with the one talent put it in the ground, and he curses him because there's no return. And so, so the takeaway for us, you know, on this is that all of us are called to account for what we have. The concept of stewardship is that God has entrusted to us those four things for a season. And now the premise here for these guys running the business here, God didn't say, oh, and feed yourself in the meantime. They were members of his household. They were children of the mass. These guys had the affluence of their master backing them. Their worldly needs were met. Now, we didn't hear anywhere in there, though, that one of them took a few um, shekels from the talent and bought themselves a new camel. We didn't see that in the passage. But the presumption there is that they had housing. They had food. Those, those worldly needs were met. They were to do the father's business. And that's no different for us at a certain level. So the question here for us in this teaching is that in Christ, where we've been bought with a heavy price, that we are redeemed through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. And all that is his is at our disposal. And he says, I'm going to trust you with it. Use it to my glory and honor until I return. And when he returns, 
for those outside of the body of Christ, it's going to be a horrifically bad day. But for us, we're going to give an account. Not for our sin, by the way. That's cleansed in the blood of Christ. We're going to give an account. Now, do we really believe that? Do you really? Because if you believed it, it would start to change things. It would change things from the vantage point that I'm going to, just like those guys that had their master return, give an account. So, so let me give you a little story on how, how we use our money. Well, let me back up. This, this sermon, this, this is not about asking you to tithe more at Doxa. I want to be really clear about a couple things. This, this is um, not about guilting you into starting to give. But if the Holy Spirit convicts you, tough, get over it. I'm sorry. Uh, this is not telling anyone here that if you don't give, you're not a Christian or, or you're, not, you know, you're not doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. Um, this is not here to condemn those who, who have wealth and who've made it by thrift and hard work. We're not here to throw stones. So, and I'll say this truthfully, you know what? It's not even about money. It's about our heart. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of the money is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. That's horrifying. And pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's interesting. How many have heard that the, money, the love of money is the root of all evil? Give me hands. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah, that's wrong. That's the world taking just a little bit of God's word and twisting it. The love of money is not the root of all evil. It says here, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's a big difference because evil comes from other sources just as it does from money. But you can expect a lot of evil from the love of money. No doubt there. It's interesting how we accept things, you know. Thou shall not kill. Do you hear that? Thou shall not kill one of the commandments. No, it's thou shall not murder. Big difference between killing and murdering. Just don't want to get into semantics on that. So the problem's not money. Let me say it again. The problem's not money. The problem's the love of money. And so if the church has a love affair with money, they, they want to have an adulterous relationship with money, with Christ, that becomes a huge problem. That parable on the rich young ruler is really interesting for this. That Christ says to this guy, and this isn't the message to anyone who has money, by the way. This is a very particular instance where Christ comes, this rich, cocky young man says, I got it all. And he wants a stamp from Jesus to confirm he's got it all. That's the horrifying thought in that passage. And Jesus cuts to the bone really quick. He says, yeah, it sounds like you've got it together. He says, one thing you lack, just one. Oh, that's easy. I can do one thing, can't I? And he says, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And scripture records he went away very sorrowful. And I wonder if that was, it's not the choice for us today. Let me say that again. This is not the choice. It might be the choice for one or two of us here. Because we're not going to be able to love God and love money at the same time. You can't. Scripture just said that. So it tells us, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. You know, and, that, and that's, Jesus continues that passage with this statement, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And what he was saying is that those who have wealth, great wealth, and let me back up. Do you know who has great wealth in this room? All of us. Go back to the running world or the central air, the cupboard full of... If you compare us, how we live, to the rest of the world, we're filthy rich. It varies a little bit on a sliding scale. But the guy living on half a cup of rice in India can't tell the difference between 2,400 square feet and 3,600 square feet. And he can't tell the difference between a Honda and a Lexus. They're both nice. See, we don't get a pass because we're so far from the, from the core of biblical stewardship, we miss the point. Many of us deal with money this way. 
there's a story of a little boy, his grandmother's raising him, and the grandmother wants to give him as much integrity as possible, so he's always trying to teach him to do the right things. And one day, he's going, he's going to church, and before church each day, his, his grandmother would give him two quarters. And she would say, son, hold on to your money, don't lose it. And when the church basket, when you get to church and the basket comes around, drop one quarter in the basket. And then when you go home from church on the way home, there's a store you can stop and get yourself an ice cream. So the little boy says, hey, he likes this deal, by the way, 50-50. You know, he's, he's getting ice cream every day in church. So one day he's running late and he starts running to church. And as he's running, he trips and falls. And as he stumbles, he's got a quarter in each hand. He's got to let, he's got to break his fall. And as he goes down on one arm, he drops the quarter out of one hand to break his fall. And he lands on the ground. And as he looks up from the ground, he sees the quarter rolling. And it's rolling toward a sewer grate. And he's like, no, no. And whoop, right down the grate it goes. To which he responds, whoops, God, there goes your quarter. Think about us. Are we of a mentality where if we can give, we will give? But if we can't, it's like, hey, you know, if I got to take care, if it's a question between taking care of me and you, it's, it's got to be me as the default. How many people here have said, I wish I could, have seen a need and have said, I wish I could give? I wish I could give. And my question is this. Do we know those needs are going to arise in the future with people we love and care for? How about considering preparing a special wish I could give fund for those particular days? It does come, which we know is coming. We will be prepared to give. And that, that's how we build when we count the cost. Um, Matthew 6.19 says this. We read this in opening. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And again, I can't change where your treasure is today. Um, but but I, want, I want to give you an illustration here. Do you guys know the story of the canary in the coal mine? The life of a canary years ago in the coal mining industry could be described with three words. Short, but meaningful. Okay, you know the canary, they put them in a cage, take them into the coal mine. Short, but meaningful. So the early coal miners did this. Um, they didn't, the coal mines didn't have ventilation systems. So the legend has it that miners would bring the caged canary into the coal mine. The canaries were especially sensitive to the methane and carbon monoxide, which makes them ideal for detecting any dangerous gas buildup. And as the story goes, the birds, as long as the bird kept singing, the miners knew their air supply was safe. A dead canary signaled an immediate evacuation. The canary in the coal mine for our relationship with Christ is how we hold the treasure in our heart. And I guess my question this morning for some of us is the canary dead. What is it telling us? You know, and I don't like asking these questions because I struggle myself. You know, and again, I think if we're not struggling, there's the concern. Where I'm just, if I want it, I buy it, if I spend it. So I broke this down into the evil of gold, uh, the evil of gold, the good of gold, and the God of gold. Those were my three sections. And I've just kind of talked about the evil of gold. Okay, so the good of gold, what is the good of gold? And so again, the problem isn't wealth. The problem's the love of wealth. Yet we hear this Hebrews 13, 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And, and really, it gives us the answer. If I said, keep yourself away from beehives, sounds pretty rational, right? Why? 
Because if you, and, and let's say you're going in doing some construction or renovation, or you're chopping through somebody's yard, and I say, well, there's beehives back there. Keep yourself from beehives. You have to exert effort. You have to be attentive. You have to pay attention. You have to look, keep yourself free from the love of money. And what it's saying is we have to push back against the perpetual incoming tide of world materialism. Meaning the world is saying, you got to have, you got to have, you got to have. My flesh is saying, I like, I like, I like. And what I've got to do is push it back. That's the first objective. You have to fight more, bigger, and better. If not, the default setting is the tide comes in and you have more, bigger, and better. And you're strangled with debt. You're a slave to it, by the way. And you've been rendered a spiritual invalid when it comes to effectively serving within the body of Christ. My analysis. Could be wrong, just my analysis. So, so the question first is, are, are we working to fight the incoming tide of materialism? The second thing. The second thing was be content with what you have. And that's kind of crazy, isn't it? And be content with what you have. But I don't have a lot, God. Right? I don't have much. Did he say, if you have a lot, you can be content? Or did he say, where, look at your feet, be there, and praise God for the fact your toes move? I had a friend of mine who, 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 who had a horrifically bad life. Lost three children, two spouses, and was, was, would drive to this place where she was doing grief counseling daily, daily three times a week. Just the loss was enormous. And she said, I used to pass this guy on the street who was in a wheelchair and had no legs. And she said, I kept cursing God and cursing God. Why could you take so much from me? And she said, I was driving one day to this grief counseling, and, and it was pouring rain, and I looked out my side rearview window and saw the guy in the wheelchair in the rain. And she said, this light came on. She said, I've never had it so good. I've never had it so good. See, so she became content with what she had. She pulled the car over, got an umbrella and walked over and said, I'll, I'll, I'll do this with you. She said, I can't explain to you what you've done for me at this moment in my life. And I guess, does it take us encountering somebody with no legs after we've really had a hard lot in life to figure it out? And maybe it is. And maybe these are the stories that God tells us to learn how to be content. But it wasn't subject on whether you have a lot or a little. And sometimes it's harder with a lot than a little. And I've been in both places. You know, when I, when I finished law school, my mom came to me sitting in the back and said, Jonathan, I'd, I owed $80,000 for law school. I finished debt, uh, undergrad debt-free. But I knew I'm making an investment. I knew there would be a return. And so my mom came to me. I was a year out. I had $800 a month student note. I got two little kids running around the house. You know, I'm making 40,000 bucks a year. You do the math real quick with a mortgage, you don't have money left over. And I thought I hit the lot. Couldn't work, and a guy, Logan Moore, says, Jonathan, I'm going to send a pizza to your house every Friday. Oh, man, I thought I hit the lottery. I like a pizza, for, and it's being delivered. I don't have the time. I'm running around with crazy kids. I know what it's like to struggle. When I got saved, I used to smoke. My spending money was 20 bucks a week, and that included cigarettes. I was a broken sinner, trust me. It took a little time to clean up. I still need some cleaning up, by the way. My mom says to me, I wish I could pay off your law school. And there was a part of me that immediately like, started drooling on myself. And then I said this to her, and today it is so true. I said that if you paid it off, I'd lose the value of a dollar. And that might be the curse of my existence. Because today I know the value of a buck. 
when I can do something to bless somebody and they say, Jonathan, I don't think you know what it means. I go, oh yeah, I do. At some level, I'm not the guy with half a cup of rice. But I was at the guy at 20 bucks a week and 10 bucks went to cigarettes. Gosh, they're five bucks a pack today. I'd have to quit today. I'm too cheap to keep smoking. I mean, that's crazy. So, so the problem isn't the money. The problem's figuring out between you and God, do we see that everything we got came from him? And are we spending our time thanking him rather than cursing him for our lot in life? And we do that sideways. I don't ever say to God, oh, you're sticking it to me. But I insinuate it. Oh, yeah, I'm just getting by. What? Is that really true? I've never just gotten by. I've never slept on the street. I've never been covered in bug bites all night for sleeping out in the open. I've never begged God for a mosquito net. I've never drank toxic water that gave me diarrhea. Let's get real. Redefine the baseline. So money is money. So whether you have a lot or a little, and I said this to David, it was really funny. I said, when I had $1,000 in the saving, I worried much less about money sometimes. David laughed. He said, me too, in college. You know, I had no, no worries. Do you know Why? Because we had to trust God. And that's a nice thing. Had to. Because I looked to him for my provision. The problem with money is that it can buy so much influence in this world, it misleads us into thinking everything can be made right with God. I mean, if you're an ugly guy and you have lots of money, you can get a pretty girlfriend. I mean, I rest my case right there. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is, is if you've got some wealth, you can move some mountains. You can get some friends. You can drive some sporty things. You, you can enjoy the pleasures of life. You know, I've had some things given to me over the years, and I've had a couple people with a lot of money give me a couple things. I had one Christmas to show up. I was going to do something for myself, and I remember having no peace with it. And I wasn't going to spend a whole ton of money on myself, but I was like, ooh, I want this. And I started thinking, I spent the day in prayer, fasting coming up on Christmas because I had no peace with spending the money on myself. And I didn't. I gave the money away because I, I would rather, I'm becoming more and more concerned about the consequences of my actions. And those are in certain areas of my life. Other areas of life, I feel like I'm spiritually flapping in the wind. It's just the truth. But I remember I had no peace. And I'm like, all right, all right. And I, and I remember toward the end of that fast, dinner got pushed off an hour, and I remember the sense of, Jonathan, do you need more of this? Whatever I wanted. And I knew the, it wasn't a condemning. It was a factual statement. Do you have enough? I went, oh my goodness, of course I do. And this guy who, who, who's incredibly affluent showed up at my house that Christmas Eve with a huge box. And Hudson walks up, 10 years old. Are these for us? He goes, no, they're for your dad. And I went, what? Like, I barely know this guy. And he says, Merry Christmas. A box full of gifts. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I pull out the first thing and I unwrap it. I'm kind of like a bunker boy. And I confess to you, I looked it up. It was $300 retail. And that was the start of six gifts in this box. And I remember opening them up and, and just feeling like really uncomfortable at first. But then I'm like starting to drool on myself. I'm liking gifts. I like stuff. And the same sense of that, the, the one who raised the question, is that enough? I heard, I know your heart's desire. I know your heart's desire. And again, I'm not saying that your heart's desire is a Cadillac, you're going to get one. That's wrong. But I think that the way that God gets our attention is through our heart. It's the way you get your kids. You can beat your kids as long as you want, but you're not going to get their heart. You have to draw their affection through the love and kindness 
of a godly parent. So, so the good of gold, it's a tool. Just use it. Pray for wisdom. I'm going to give some helpful hints at the end. I'm just about done. The God of gold. So let me ask you this. How many of us would fret if we really believe that the maker of the heavens and the earth is the guy who backs our checking account? How many of us would worry? Worry is a sin, by the way. It's to calculate without God. And what do we worry most about as a people? Money. Money, then health, if you're getting older. That's fair. But that worry is to calculate without God. Boy, what a horrible thing to do. To worry about these things. I think about my kids today. My kids, I, I will not give my kids my worldly wealth today when I leave church. I know Mary's here going, Dad said it's really not a big deal. She's going to say, can I have the wealth now? No. No. And the same reason that God doesn't open the floodgates of his provision is the same reason I don't give Mary my wealth. Now, no offense to Mary, but I'm growing and training her in the way of the Lord. Hopefully that she'll have character, integrity, and discipline. That she'll have wisdom in valuing what's important and not what's not important. And so as I train and raise her, as this transition takes place, I start to shift my provision, my full provision to anything she wants to do with her life. I told all our kids, that, and doesn't God say the same thing to us? That as we grow in age, our objective is to train in wisdom in the management of the things that are most important in life. And God uses money to display to us how to manage what he's entrusted to us. And thank God he does it slowly. Because I know so many young people that have gotten huge sums of money and squandered it. Why? Because they lack the wisdom and wealth. And that's the same reason God doesn't give me a Maserati. I'd think I'm really important. If I got a Maserati, have you ever taken a ride in a six-figure car? Anyone in here, six-figure car? There's Doug. All right, who else? <laughs> when you get in, I valet parked. Okay, there's my excuse. And when you get in a $100,000 car, you go, wow, I like this. You know, I, a friend of mine at this Valley parking place took the thing and went to the local um, um, establishment where they sell like cheeseburgers and he pulls up in, in a 500 SL Mercedes Benz with the top down and the girls were looking at him. And he's like, I'm feeling pretty big all of a sudden. We immediately lose the capacity to understand what's important and what's not when, you, when, when that takes place. I lose my head. You know, so when you see those things, it's easy that the Lord just snags you. You know, I'm going to ask you a question. Why, why do I serve God the way I do? First of all, I serve him because I believe what his son did for me has fixed the sin problem. And that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. But I'll tell you, there's another reason I serve God the way I do. And I'm going to answer it with two words. Real estate. All right? So you say, Jonathan, you're sounding awfully materialistic, aren't you? Christ, when he left, where did he go? To his father. And what did he say he was going to be doing? Preparing a place. For who? Us. When he comes back. Now, if you want a McMansion, I'm cool with that. You can have it now, where Uncle Sam's going to fleece you in taxes, and, and they're going to actually ask you to leave in about 50 years and put you in a nursing home. It's going to be a painful downgrade, by the way. Or you, or you can start putting a down payment, build some spiritual annuities in our father's kingdom. And I'm personally, I am certain Great shall be your reward. That anyone who's left me, you'll gain 30, 60, 90, 100 fold. Is that lies? Or is he baiting us? You know, I can discipline my kids with threats a lot, but ultimately, if I bribe them lavishly with love, I get their attention much quicker. And what has our Father done with us throughout Scripture? If you look for the number of verses where he's dangling carrots in front of you, and the disciples, Peter said, What's in it for me? That's fair. 
that's fair. And Jesus didn't say, Peter, you materialistic dot, dot, dot. He said, ah, oh, hundredfold for anyone that's left something in this world for the kingdom of God in the age. He gave him a solid answer. Yeah, there's a return coming. Absolutely. And do we believe that? If I said you can take a dollar today, invest in the kingdom of God, and you'll have a hundred when, when he returns, what would you do if you really believed it? I'm personally in favor of eternal annuities. You know, the, there's no down market. There's pure upside. It's not going to be taxed, and the return is 100% to me. That's wisdom. David, I'm sorry about that, by the way. David, we got some financial guys here. So if I get a choice to give it to David or give it to God, you see, because when I leave, I'm not taking it with me. That's the truth. Yes, we have a duty responsibly to care logistically. I run a business. I have a home. I have a mortgage. I've got kids. I have responsibilities. But how do we weight those priorities in light of understanding what our God is doing? So I would encourage us today, give. Give sacrificially. Give lavishly. And let me say something else. Give to those who you think might have a lot more than you have. I did something for somebody a little ways back. It was really interesting. Um, we, we gave them something, and, and they came back and said, we are so grateful for what you did. And like, economically, you guys have done it. Who's alive and jumping around in the kingdom of God. Boy, we rejoice. When we give, give anonymously, so you don't get the recognition here and now. You know, the hardest thing is to give and get no credit for it. And it tells you about the problem with my heart, how stony and hard my heart is that if I give, I, I want, ah, oh, boy, great sacrifice. That's crazy. The stewards didn't make any sacrifices when they invested the five talents. They took nothing out of their pocket. So don't go to the steward and say, oh, good, you've been a great steward. You're, you made such a great sacrifice. No, he just trusted his master and gambled with house money. That's a good deal. So let me give a couple, a couple things really quick. We all have a choice. That choice starts today. Who will we serve? You can't serve God and money. Not my opinion. It was the black letters of the verse we opened up with tonight, this morning. So let me give you a couple things if you're struggling. Draft an actual budget and live under it. And draft a budget that's realistic. If you're not saving, start saving. And you sound, this is crazy. I'm poverty stricken, Jonathan. No, you can save a buck a day. Because the Proverbs 13.11 says this, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Do anything you can to get out of debt. I've watched so many people say, I'd love to serve the Lord, but I can't. I have a big mortgage. Get out of debt. And if you really seek, I'm going to the gym last night. I'm like, I need a break and prepping. And I'm going to the gym and I turn on the radio on a secular radio station. There's Dave Ramsey with a 30-year-old couple who had paid off their mortgage. Homeschooled mom, one income. Don't tell me you can't get out of debt. It's a lie. It's contrary to the word of God. You are a slave if you borrow. Proverbs, not my opinion. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Proverbs 22.7. Consider giving according not to your income or a percentage, but according to your ability. Just try it. Consider giving consistently. Now, this is important. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Work hard and integrity. With integrity. You got to hustle. If you're not sweat, there are lazy people in our midst. You got to work. Proverbs tells us lazy hands makes for poverty. Surprise, surprise. But diligence hands brings wealth. If you wonder why somebody's making it and you're not, maybe look at your hands. 
And this isn't the happy message, by the way. Nobody's going to come after the church and say, Jonathan, thanks so much. I felt warm and fuzzy when I left. No. But maybe tomorrow morning things will change to where the king will be honored. And you're going to start to witness a holy God involved in this aspect of our lives. Pray for wisdom if you struggle with money. If you're married, you should be praying with your spouse already, so that shouldn't be too hard. If you work hard and make money, enjoy the fruit of your labor. But as my favorite Christian comedian, Bon Kui Kui, says, Angela Jackson, I think it is, but don't get crazy, all right? But don't get crazy, all right? So, so enjoy. If you work hard, go have a good meal once in a while. Because what happens is you start squirreling the money away, and it has a toxic effect on your heart. Take a couple to bless when you go out to dinner. And, and that blessing is greater than you think. But, but don't, you have to enjoy the fruit of your labor. But don't get crazy. View wealth as a tool versus a symbol. And last, um, want what you have and thank God daily for it. I'll give you the, the, the scriptural background. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. So I want to tell you a story in closing. It's a quick story, trust me. I'm running over time. I was driving home from grocery shopping one day. Drop, I do it with my mom in the mornings. And, and I was driving home from grocery shopping. I'm on 62nd Avenue, and I'm riding by a house where my neighbor had passed away, and they were having a yard sale. And as I'm driving by the house, this is going to sound fruity, but as, as loud as the Holy Spirit has ever spoken to me, I heard this audible scream. Stop! And I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm 62nd Avenue, and I hit the brake. I mean, stop! In the road, and I'm like, What? Now, this is flaky. You can say I'm flaky. And I get up and walk into the yard sale. Now, earlier that week at Lowe's, a Tuesday, I was looking at drill bits. They were 20 bucks for three, and I couldn't bring myself to spend the money. I didn't have peace. That's such a big deal. I didn't have peace. And I put the drill bits down and left. Sound familiar? And I walk up into this garage, and they're having a fire sale. His wife had already passed away. It was his niece selling everything. And I see tools, and I start drooling. All right, so I walk up, and there's all these tools, and I see a small metal box, fair size, and I open it up. It's filled with drill bits. Filled. I mean, filled, 100, 150 drill bits. There were, I think, eight or ten still in their wrapper. And I, with the poker face, look at the niece who's hocking everything. I say, how much for the box of drill bits? And she says, two dollars. And with a poker face, I say, okay. <laughs> Ten-foot fold-out aluminum ladder, brand new. $10. I hit pay dirt. I cashed in. I drove home with the groceries, dropped them off, and came back and looted the guy's possessions. <laughs> I'm fair. I'm just giving you the unedited version. And so I get back to my house. I'm unloading the booty. That's what it, I cashed in. I robbed this place. I mean, it was a fair exchange according to her. And as I'm putting this stuff away, that same audible voice I heard is this. This is the fate of everything you possess. It was a deafening silence. Because then I understood everything I have left behind is going to be jettisoned from my house as fast as possible. Because my, my wife will confess that she's going to jettison it if I go first. Fast as possible. Pennies on the dollar has no value, no appreciation for it. And she's going to say, heave ho to the curve. And if she's being robbed, she'll do it cheerfully. This was the fate of what? How much? Everything. And so I leave you with the thought. You can push it forward, but you can't take it with you.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.